Hold it, hold it. Don't go. Don't go. I want you to hear this before I read the scripture. At the beginning of Psalm 67 and many of the other Psalms, there is a superscription that we oftentimes do not read, but they're in the original text. They are to be read. And in this one, it begins this way, to the choir master, a psalm, a song to the stringed instruments. The choir master is not one who simply leads a choir, but one who leads worship, who illumines the Hebrew word there. It, it actually means to make, to shine, to cause light to come. That's what you did just now. And when I'm sitting right there, yeah, you can go ahead. There was that one refrain where your voices were magnificent. Why? Because God decided that he would take your abilities and make them like a spotlight that would illumine the truth about God. So thank you. That's the great thing about being the founding pastor. You can do stuff like that. <laughs> Nobody's going to go, uh, you know, that wasn't on the script, Jim. You can. I know. Psalm 67, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one of the pew Bibles, you can turn to page 450, but let me read it. Psalm 67. We begin to the choir master with stringed instruments a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Familiar phrase, Selah. That your way be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for, your, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the people praise you, O God, let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is God's word, and it's true. This morning, I get the great privilege of opening this psalm, and hopefully, it will serve as an encouragement a challenge, and maybe even a conviction. The psalmist begins with an uh, a benediction that's called the Aaronic benediction from Numbers chapter 6. You may be familiar with it. Uh, it is the one that goes, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That intrigued me that the psalmist would begin this psalm, the actual invocation with a benediction, which made me think about the purpose of the benediction that I've used for well over four decades that I borrowed from the Apostle Paul. You, some of you know it. Some of you who've never heard me preach have not heard it. 
It is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the last verse where Paul writes, and now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rests and abide upon each of you. I have expanded it, and I typically close with, and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God that sent him into the world, and the constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you until we shall meet again or until our Savior comes, and then forever. It's a benediction. It's something said as you send people out, but there is intrigue here to me, but more on that later. What I want to look at is this psalm, and I want you to see, are you ready? Three things. I want you to see what God does, why God does it, and how shall we respond. What God does, how God does it, and how shall we respond. So if you have your Bibles or your device, whatever you happen to be using today, uh, you'll want to open it to Psalm 67. And that's where we're going to focus our time. For those of you in East Hall, thanks for joining us. Those of you online, glad you're with us as well. David, I believe, is the psalmist here. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That's, that's that opening statement. It's an invocation borrowed from a benediction. And he says, God, will you do three things? Which he has, by the way. It's as if the psalmist is simply reminding not only himself, but his reader of all that God does. He said, God, will, will you be gracious to us? Will you be kind? That's, what, that, that's all that means is, God, will you be kind to us? Do you, do you know people who are kind? Not just people who are nice, but people who are kind they, they think about you. They think about your needs. They think about what's going on in you. They, they try to address you in a manner that, that you, you feel their empathy, maybe their sympathy. It's, it's this kindness. They do acts that are kind. They, they say things that are kind. And what the psalmist is saying is, God, will you be kind? And he is. He says things that encourage. If you read through the scripture, that's what you see constantly. Then the psalmist says, will you bless us? I love this one. This, this, the Hebrew word here means to kneel. I'm a, I'm a pretty big man. I, on this big stage, I probably look smaller than I am. But I'm six foot two, uh, 240 pounds of stomping death. And it's, <laughs> it, it's an amazing thing. And I scare children. Uh, it, we have a number of young staff members with young families, and, and being a grandfather of 12, I, I, I love little kids, but I scare them. And when I stand up straight, they, they run. In fact, if you have small children, uh, just walk after the service, walk them up to me, and they will bury their heads into your thigh or behind you, or they'll run away. And, and God understands his incredible immensity and what the psalmist says, will you bless us? In other words, God, will you kneel down? 
You see, when you're big and you kneel down before a child, all of a sudden that threat of bigness disappears. And you're able to be eye to eye with that child. You see, that's what the psalmist says and that's what God does to us. He condescends to us. Think about it. The creator of the universe who kneels down to you, to be close to you because of his great love for you in the midst of whatever you happen to be doing. Then he says, will you make your face shine upon us? That's the whole idea of full face. I, I have three portraits of my daughters when they were little. A local artist here who is magnificent, her name is Judith Carducci, and she is a, particularly a pastel artist. And for a kindness to our family, uh, she, she painted my, all my daughters. Stephanie, the oldest, Katie, the youngest, are in a more of a, a profile, because most artists don't paint what is called full face. But Sarah, her painting is full face. And if you see the portraits next to each other, you see the, the thoughtfulness of Stephanie, the, 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 the very kindness and simplicity of Katie, and then you see Sarah, full face. And no matter where you go in the room, her eyes follow you. I don't know, it's, a, it's an illusion of some kind, but, but they do. But, you see, that's what the psalmist is saying. God, don't show us your profile. Show us all of you. We want to we experience the intimacy that all of you provides for us. And he continually does that. And the psalmist is reminding us and he's, he's reminding himself. God is indeed so kind. God is indeed so tender that he would kneel down to us. God wants us to know him intimately and personally. And there's a purpose in all of it. Why does he do it? That's my second point. He does it for this reason. Look at verses two through four. That, and that introduces the reason, that your way may be known on earth. Let me just add, because the implication in the poetry is to include it, that your saving power among the nations may be known. And then the response that all the peoples, all the ethnicities, all the, all the nations, all the peoples, differences, similarities, that all the peoples, let all the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's a redundancy here. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And you guide the nations upon earth. Think about that for a minute. See, 
the psalmist reminds himself that everything that God does pleads with God to do these things for not his selfish reasons. He is not so egocentric to think, well, this is all for me, but rather that something might something much greater might come out of it. Years ago, over 50 years ago, a man by the name of Perry Cronister came to a little apartment on Kent Road in Stowe, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with a young man by the name of Jim College and his wife, Barb. Their lives were, trans- their lives were transformed. Perry, Perry would have never imagined ever in his wildest dreams that this would take place, ever. And if I may, just for a moment, if I may be so bold, so arrogant to say, I have been all over the world. I have, I have been in Nepal. I have been, and by the way, just so you know, beginning of the 29th, 1,500 Bhutanese and Nepalese people will be here for, through the 1st of July, worshiping and learning here in this sanctuary and all over this building. Why is that true? Because of Perry. Not because of me. Because of Perry. See, when God blesses you, when he is gracious to you, when he, when he is tender with you, when, when, he, when he calls you to himself, there is an intent in that. And as I was, I, I mean, I, I've been in Cambodia and Thailand and India and, and Sri Lanka and, and Russia and Belarus and, and Poland and Belgium and South America, and I've seen God doing things that are amazing. You know why? Because of you of us, because God decided years ago that there would be some people, not me, some other people living in Hudson that put, they put a burden on their heart that there ought to be a church. I see you sitting there, put a burden on their heart to start a church that all of a sudden God said, that's exactly what I wanna do. In fact, I'm gonna be gracious I'm going to be tender, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I'm going to move, and I'm going to do something, and guess what? He did it with you, with your gifts, with your, with your, and when I say gifts, I'm not talking about just your checks or your money, although keep giving, <laughs> and you know, I'm glad you'll laugh at that, because again, as the founder, I can say stuff like that. But, but don't see it as the obligation. See it as the, as the privilege of being part of what God is doing all over the world because of you. you, you oh. When you leave here today, just don't go out and go, well, what do you think's for lunch? When you leave here today, start thinking, God is amazing. I mean, He's doing exactly what his word says, that you may be known. In other words, it is that your way may be, he uses that word way. You know what that's about? That is about his, his sovereign movement, redemptive movement in history. 
so that that redemptive movement that changed your life, that changed my life, might be known. That's what he's, it's not just about a, a moral code to live by, it's about seeing, about having people take, have become aware of his sovereign movement throughout history that is transforming men and women, boys and girls, all over the world. So that you might be known, so that your saving power might be made known among us. In other words, it can be, if it can be done for you and me, if, it can be, if it, his saving power can change me, then it can happen to anybody. And, and we worship him. And that, and that they may know that you judge people with equity. In other words, that the decision-making, it's not just about God in black robes sitting at a, on a judge's bench. It's about him governing. It's about him directing. It's about him leading. It's about him caring. It's about God's decision-making power that overwhelms you and me. That, in fact, God is the God who is overwhelmingly awesome. And just so you know, the only time, the only time I will ever use the word awesome is in relation to God, because I'm telling you right now, a hamburger does not in, invoke awe in me, <laughs> nor does your dress or your suit. There is only one, one person that I know who is overwhelmingly awesome, and that is the creator of the universe, whose name is, well, his title is God, his name is Jehovah, or Yahweh. So that your way may be known, so that your saving power may be known, so that you, we may know that you judge the earth with equity. God's decision-making ability for the benefit of his creation is overwhelmingly right. The cries today for justice are all distorted, as great as the intention is, as wonderful as it is. Those cries for justice, wherever they come from, are tilted towards the one who feels they have been they've experienced injustice. I understand it. Please don't hear me say that that isn't something we should work for, but if we want true justice, God is the one who decides and makes things right. And he, the psalmist said, is the one who guides the nation, and the word guide is shepherd. There is nothing more tender than that. It's not about just moving people around. When my, my children were little, I used to palm their heads. You ever do that? You know what? You're going, what'd you do? <laughs> it's one, you know, with a, a toddler, if you, because their heads are pretty small. Now, my children have my kind of head, so it was a little, you had to have big, bigger hands. Uh, but if you, if you have a toddler, you could actually guide them by putting your hand on their head. And just paw, you can just run them around. But that, I see you got the picture. They're, they're, but that's what, God, that's what God does. 
You can feel it sometimes. I know you can. I can. Particularly when I want to go a different way. And you can, you can almost feel, I, I know I'm speaking metaphorically, allegorically, whatever the phrase is, but it, you can almost feel his, his fingers just tighten over, oh, so gently to go, no, Jim, not that way. Not that way. Here, let me turn you just a little bit more. And that's what the psalmist, that's what the psalmist is talking about. Saying, oh God, do these things for us. Bless us. Be gracious to us. Make your face shine upon us. So that people will know your way. They'll know the movement of you moving through redemptive history. They'll, they'll know your saving power. They'll know that you are just, that your way is best, and that you're the one who guides and takes us in the right way. So how do we respond? What, what do we do now? If those things are true, if that's what we want, if that's what the psalmist cries out for and, and invites us, in fact, to, to look to God for the very same thing, now what, what shall we do? Well, first it starts, well, let all the people praise you. That's simply, that, that, is, a, that is an invitation for all the followers, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've made a decision, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, whether it was a decision or you were actually drawn. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to participate in every aspect of what God is doing and to invite others to do the same. In, in whatever way you can do that, to using whatever method, whatever mode, whatever, whatever way in order to invite others to participate in this thing called the Christian life that results in praise. The earth, it says, has yielded its increase. He, he throws that in there, and I, I was thinking, well, that doesn't seem to fit. Oh, yeah, it does. It certainly does. You'll notice what it, it's the only, it's the only Apparently, at least in English, past tense. It's actually a perfect tense in the Hebrew, but that's a whole other message. But look what it says. The earth has. See, everything else is like present or future. But this one, it says the earth has yielded its increase. The psalmist with those very words is making a statement about common grace. Common grace is a term that theologians love to use about the things that we receive as believers in, or, or just as human beings, like the air that we breathe, the rain that comes and waters plants and farms and, and, and the, the earth spinning and gravity and all the things that are just simply common grace because of who God is and what he wants. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, this is what Paul writes. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, here's the key. He says in verse 19, 
For what can, we, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. You can try and twist it and say, well, it's just sort of natural evolution. But there is something so unique in the design of everything that we see, not to mention the human body, that God reveals himself simply through common grace. But then there's another step to grace. It's called special grace. Listen to this. And this is... This is what the psalmist is saying. You need to be aware of this as well. When he says, God our God shall bless us, how? I refer you to Ephesians chapter two when Paul writes this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even, listen to this, even when we were dead in our Trespasses. You know dead is dead. If something is dead, it, it, it does not have life. That, you so well, Jim, that's so profound. Thank you for that. <laughs> but if you have a dead plant and you try to water it, if it's dead, it will not grow. You might have one that's dormant that you can get to grow, but if it's dead, it's dead. If a person dies, they're dead. Unless you are God incarnate, you will not be able to, in fact, that's what he's saying here. Listen, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God, through Christ, made us alive. You, this is special grace. This is you and me. This is before we became followers of Jesus Christ, before we gave our lives, as we like to say, to Jesus. But in fact, Jesus himself said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So God, being rich in his mercy towards you, drew you to himself. He made you alive. And oh, by the way, for those of you who are here who have yet to come to faith, you notice what I said, yet to come to faith, because I believe you're here because God is indeed out of his great love for you. I wish I could communicate the kind of love that God has for you. I can't, because whenever I communicate it, there's, a, there's an edge, which I wish I could get rid of, but I, I, I've tried over the years and it doesn't go away. <laughs> but God doesn't have an edge because of his great love for you is making, is in the process of making you alive to draw you unto himself. So let me just tell you this. If you're here without Christ, you don't know him as savior, I'll just tell you straight up, you're coming. You're, you, come the, you can come the, the easy way or the hard way, but you're coming. I and mean, he, he, he just, that's what God does. He does it not because he's a tough guy, not because he thinks he's better than anybody, because of his great love. Because what he wants to do is he wants to bless, he wants to be gracious to you, kind. He wants to be tender with you. 
He, he, he wants to be intimate with you. There is no one like him. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. That's why he says, let all the ends of the earth fear him. I wish they would have translated it different. But essentially, it is to be struck with awe and worship. Even the word worship is a word that means to cast everything at him in in just honor, just unspeakable desire for God to get all the glory. Which brings me back finally to my benediction that is really an invocation. Because if the purpose of the psalmist use of a benediction as an invocation is to bring people to an understanding of the God who loves them, cares for them, has given himself for them, then why would it not be true of what Paul says when he says, and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the very thing that saves us, the very thing that that cannot and must not be hoarded with, with, with a closed grip. It has to be given away. It has to be, it, it can't be held like this. So now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God that sent him in the world, it's God's unfathomable loving kindness that decrees and then ushers Jesus, intervenes in the very history of mankind by saying, Here's my redemptive plan right in front of you. I've let you see it for hundreds of years. And now here he is. And the constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, without the Holy Spirit who indwells you as a believer and who is permanent within you, who enables you not only to obey, but to do the work of allowing the people and the peoples of all the earth hear of the God who is gracious, who is kind, who is intimate, and who longs to perform justly in your life, in mine, and with the nations. And now, for us, for you, maybe just you, and now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God that sent him into the world, and the constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you. until we shall meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever forever wow Father in heaven thank you for your incredible 
kindness, love, mercy, grace. You draw us to yourselves, to yourself in in unspeakable ways. With words spoken, prayers sung, acts of kindness, God, will you do your work even now? Take these words and drive them deep into each of us. God, you, by your Holy Spirit, make them meaningful. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.